Hey everybody, welcome to episode 32 of Tactical Crouch. We're coming at you with a bonus one this week. We just saw you on Tuesday, but we've got a pretty incredible guest. Of course, I'm joined by uh, Joe and Yiska. Good to see you guys again. I, it's nice seeing you guys twice a week. It's kind of yeah, yeah, sweet. It's not bad. But uh, seeing once in my life, I guess at this point, uh, former coach for the Florida Mayhem, Misfits, big brains this week. Uh, we've got Mineral. Hey, welcome An to the OG. show. An OG. Hey guys, how's it going? From player to coach to Overwatch League, man, what a journey! Epic. Mm -hmm. They're gonna make a movie about it someday. I'm calling it now. Who's gonna play me, Aaron Paul? Uh, no, you're, <laughs> no, I was saying this before the show, it, yeah. you're better looking than Aaron Paul. You're like a, you're a Chris Hemsworth kind of guy, I would say. Actually, honestly, I, I got Aaron Paul a lot during the Breaking Bad frenzy when I lived in the UK, almost on a daily basis, so. That's, that, now that you mention it, yeah, that <laughs> I you, didn't see you, it. you sort of look like him, yeah. Yeah, that, I can see <sighs> it, fair enough. Well, welcome to the show, thanks for being on, we're excited, we've got... So many questions for you. So I hope that you're you're prepared. So you had? Do you have a wrist brace on? Yeah. Is that too just much for, gaming. Too much. Too yeah. much gaming. Yeah. Uh, so I saw you came prepared for the show today. So uh, that's awesome. And yeah, well, I mean, let's go ahead and get it started. But before we do, uh, a couple of things. Make sure to follow the show on Twitter at tactical underscore crouch, and you can find the show on podcast feeds and everywhere. Just search for tactical crouch, and of course, we're on YouTube at youtube.com slash kick tripod. We also record live at twitch.tv slash kick tripod. Follow there so you know when we go live because we will be doing like bonus episodes like this as we find guests who can come on the show. So make sure uh, to do that. Other than that, let's get into it. Joe, we got news breaking. Beep, 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 beep. So, uh, <laughs> at least it's not during the show. Today. Yeah, it's, it's not before, during the show today, but it, like a couple hours before the show, the Overwatch League gods are like, you know what? We've been breaking news during Tactical Crouch for the past four weeks, and they can't give you any hot takes on it. Now we can, because they broke it three hours before the show started. What happened? So the Florida Mayhem, in partnership with their Contenders Academy team, decided that they were going to trade Shax, Fact Fiction, and McGravy. McGravy being on their inactive stable for the main roster to the Los Angeles Valiant in trade for Fate, their main tank who has uh, drawn many applause from his time in, in Apex and his uh, overall prowess at the role. But, uh, you know, Valiant's not been not been the hottest team in the world as of late, but I will say they have improved. I think uh, it's it's kind of sad to see things get changed up, even though I, I know that it needed to um, because they were really starting to get their stuff together. Um, yeah. What do you guys, uh, what, what's the, what's the, the, the thoughts here? I'm generally pretty positive on this. I'll, I'll, I'll round myself out last, but general thoughts on the, the three to one trade mineral. I'd love to hear your thoughts first. Uh, <laughs> before, before Yiska. I think explodes. <laughs> explodes. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm team. All right. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm a big, I've always been a big fan of Fate, and obviously things weren't great at Valiant, which is, I think, the only way a player of that kind of caliber becomes available. Um, and I think, you know, Mayhem were lucky to have the assets to be able to pull that type of a trade-off. I think, in general, obviously Fate has caught a little bit of flag because of Valiant's performance, but I do think if he's happy, 
then he's definitely one of the five best main tanks in the league, or he can he can reach that potential. Um, so I think it's obviously a terrific pickup for for the Mayhem. And I think anytime you trade a player of that caliber, you're most likely losing the trade. Uh, but I think the return, if if Fade was going anyway, then I think the trade, uh, like the the stuff that the package, I guess that Valen um, mm-hmm. get in return is pretty decent. Uh, obviously, McGravy's presumably going to back up space and then i think Shaxx actually has a very even though he's a hit scan specialist he has a very versatile hero pool so i do see him potentially being the starter on valiant and then obviously fact fiction is the replacement for faith so they potentially get two starters um so it's i, guess, I suppose it's a trade that kind of makes sense and i think it's a huge pickup for the man I think the timing of the trade is is nice as well. Like we're coming into this break, they 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 get to adjust to the new team atmosphere. Um, I think you know, speaking from the outside, I don't know if, if you want to talk about this, but just adding new people to the team can kind of boost morale in a way. You kind of get a, a re up on the honeymoon phase. Is that something you think might play into uh, maybe Valiant going into stage three? I'm, obviously, with meta changes kind of aside, but just morale wise, do you think that that uh, might kind of bolster them a little bit more? Yeah, I think I think they can definitely be a factor. I think uh, going back to what you said in terms of this is be, this being a good time, I think actually this is sort of the only time you can make these big mm-hmm. picture trades because you have more time to prepare for the next stage. I think there's just too little time between stage one and stage two, which is why you know teams are always talking behind the scenes, but there's really not that much movement, you know, mm-hmm. between stage one and stage two. And now it kind of makes sense to make these moves and sort of maybe hit the, the reset button on the culture or whatever and kind of incorporate all of these guys because you have more time so the timing does make sense and yeah i agree i mean if you're the valiant obviously you have a massive change you have a change in coaching staff you have two potentially new two new starters three new players maybe you're not done making moves i'm not sure but yeah i think it's uh it's, it's always good when when the going's tough and you kind of change pieces around there's always at least a little more hope that, that you can kind of you know Turn, I, turn the boat, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Can I read between the lines here on something? Because this is, sure. you know, this is small, smooth brain me <laughs> coming in here right now. But, you know, I, I, Mineral for me, too, as well, especially in season one, was like, this guy is a, a top five tank. He's, he's an amazing tank. And there's no doubt that he's that caliber of tank. But he, you said something about, like, being happy. And, I mean, going from the Valiant to the Mayhem is... Not necessarily, at least if if happiness comes with wins, is not necessarily the trade I'm looking for. Do you, any of you guys think that we, we, there's some big sign? I mean, we know that there's signings coming to the Mayhem, but is yeah he has he has to know who the Mayhem are signing and has I to go. You a- know what? That's that's something that that I'm coming on on. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm willing to come on for right. Is that is that reading too much into it? But I don't Ooh. see a player like Fate just going. Yeah, Valiant, I'm sick of losing. I'm going to the mayhem. Like that's not I don't think mm-hmm. that that's the most logical. Well, you have to, to remember that he doesn't really have a choice either, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, so, that's just kind of ships you wherever. That's fair. Yeah. That's I mean, fair. his market value certainly went down after the recent season, then sort of like semi um out in the open, there were like maybe attitude or rather <sighs> Um, let's say adaptability issues. We know Fate prim- like probably would do better in a purely Korean roster, and that's what he's getting, right? That's mm-hmm. most certainly like the other players that are likely to come in. Um, of course, also are Koreans, and the 
I mean, there's there's some outlook there. the The question really for me is is was there no one else that could have wanted fate? Because sometimes, and it's sort of like a coach slash GM thing, where it's like, well, that's fine if people have like attitude, behavioral, or like um, issues just to fit into a specific system. But that doesn't mean they are necessarily tainted for another system. Mm -hmm. Then the 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 next coach says, "Oh, okay, I can make it work." It's interesting that it would then be the mayhem in that sense, right? So still at the same time, it, it's now a question also of like reframing what success means for someone like Faint this season. If they make a stage playoff, I think that would be one thing that certainly qualifies as uh, success at this point. Definitely. Now, in general, for, from the Valiant side, I think the the trade overall is probably fair and balanced in terms of the value that everyone's getting. The only problem I have with that thing is Valiant to me looked like one of the most improved teams. Like their trajectory was certainly pointing upwards. And while I'm not sure I would have expected, for instance, to be the the trajectory to lead to a point where, for instance, they could still be playing for play-ins. Because at this point, I think they, they would need like a 70% win chance. That's a 5-2 um, stage twice in a row. I'm not sure if they would have gotten there. Therefore, I like radical changes, but I'm not sure if those changes are what is needed to get there. And of course, we don't know if they're uh, done at this point. I also think it's a pretty big downgrade on the tank front. I'm not sure if Cookie is actually going to start again. I, I would rather think against it. I think both of these teams seem to be showing that they want to go either purely Western or purely Korean at this point. So we're looking at fact, and certainly it, with Mayhem uh, Academy, very good in, in terms of how that fared out, right? Very impressive season in that regard. So, a little bit unfortunate in the playoffs. I'm not sure, like how if if you want to rely on that as a Overwatch League main tank with, like, potential or you know, it's in my mind you now filled up the second slot, and it's nothing that sweeps me off my feet. No, Sorry. yeah, it definitely doesn't. It's not a big move. It's big in terms of like width, but in terms of like peak potential. Yeah, I think this is a nice baseline foundational signing that kind of leads you on a course for Valiant within the next few years. It's it's like a franchise move in a way. Um, you you know what they're going to be playing for um, in terms of pieces come, you know, postseason as we go into season three, as we go into travel, you know, if the players kind of tag along for that season, now you have a decent bench to say, okay, you know, on a travel day, if somebody's sick, if somebody can't make it, if their visa is delayed, now we we have a strong foundation to work with. And I think that was something that was a little bit lacking towards the end of season one for Valiant. That's when, you know, a lot of the, the stirring started to happen within the roster. Obviously, you know, earlier on, you had like Cuddles leaving, you know, Kareev being bopped around here, there, 
all over the place, but we're starting to see teams really figure out where they want to be. Do they want to have a mixed roster? Do they not want a mixed roster? Where's our coaching staff? Do what kind of style do we want to play? We're starting to kind of figure that out. Some teams a little bit slower than others, but for the most part, I think this is a nice trade for Valiant. You know, mayhem not looking bad. I, I have to say, I'm I'm liking what I'm seeing so far. I'm 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 excited for them for stage three. I can, I've been very vocal about you know what the heck bad teams like get it together. I it feels like Mayhem's at least trying, you know, and and I can I can respect that. I think real quick because before we move on from that discussion, I think one thing that's flying under the radar a little bit is. For me, Shaqs. So whenever I talk to like uh, European co contenders coaches, it's almost only that name that comes up when I, when I ask, okay, who should move up to Overwatch League? Very many players also just told me Shaqs has been the best player in contenders for a while uh, now, in at least in the uh, in that region, right? So I think just in terms of versatility, in terms of understanding of the game, apparently also quite, quite coachable. Um, I think that is a great pickup that could certainly uh, show value, depending on where the meta goes this season, or even if not, if, even if nothing changes, I think that's uh, certainly a, um, a very good pickup that shouldn't be underestimated. Yeah, I mean, I completely agree because, you know, I, I was a part of the recruiting process of Shaq's to Mayhem Academy, and I had the pleasure of coaching him last summer as well when I was helping our academy team. And, you know, I can really attest to that. I think when he came in, he was a little bit raw, like his fundamentals weren't great, but his mechanical skill was insane. And now he's had a couple of seasons growing on, you know, with, with Mayhem Academy, and I think he's got so much potential. Mechanically, he's really, really good. You know, one one of the better... He has potential to be one of the best DPS players, at least Western DPS players, I think. Mm -hmm. So I think, yeah, I think he he's definitely the best piece, I think, that um, Valiant are getting, both, especially since he's still young. So mm -hmm. there's a lot of growth potential there still, I think. Do any of you guys think the Valiant are done, uh, like making signings right now? No, I think... I wouldn't be surprised if they had more trades. I wouldn't be surprised if they signed another coach. That is happening, um, yes. Yeah, I, I think that's bound to happen. Um, yeah, I'll be interested to see what they do with Izayaki. I think Kareev's been integrated with that team long enough that they don't want to see him go. I think he's been like a really big role player for them. So I don't think they'll be letting him go anytime soon. But Izayaki... Definitely, if they are trending towards a, a Western core and we want to, you know, try to facilitate Western talent coming up, I don't know. I know that they just posted a video. I haven't had a chance to watch it yet just to see exactly what kind of, um, you know, system they're proposing, or at least through, you know, public channels. Um, so we'll see. I, I'll be interested to see what happens with Izayaki. If he, maybe he finds himself on a, on a Boston or, you know, just moving him around elsewhere. Uh, I'll be interested to see. What I will say this, I think the entire trade for, from the Valiant standpoint, and I told you this already, Joe, mm -hmm. I would like this trade a lot more if Valiant had a contenders team. Just to put maybe some of those players on two-way, see how sure. it works out, like have a couple of options, uh, what to do with the roster. I mean, Valiant must know from last season that it's not amazing to have a gigantic roster when rotation Definitely. can't necessarily happen and that two roster thing still no precedent that that actually works so 
yeah, I, I worry a little about that, just like from a team culture perspective. Then again, I also think that the pieces they have in terms of like coaching staff and team culture is probably strong. Uh, I think uh, from from the outside, of course, we, I can't evaluate that, but uh, Packing certainly seems to have arrived as a head coach as well. Mm-hmm. So since he's, he's taken over, there's certainly an, an improvement in performance and also um, score. If like something numerical, yeah, definitely. So yeah, I think they're on the right track. Certainly, um, I, I think to your point, this also shows the power of having a contenders team, where you can make these trades from contenders to Overwatch League and and really offset the costs or even equalize the cost of making player trades. And that's I think that's the future. I think it's when you want to pursue somebody's contract. Okay, who do you have on your bench that me we might want to develop in the future? I think that's really powerful. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And I mean, there's no way Mayhem has a chance to land a player of this caliber mm-hmm. if they don't have an academy team that performs well. So yes, you know, even even though like having an academy team today might not have like you're bleeding money with yeah. with salary with with you know with all the expenses. These are the moments you try to keep an academy team for, so you can convert these pieces into something bigger. You know, it's something that, you know, like, you look at Boston. Obviously, they were there were rumors about them potentially flipping Fusions for Fate, right? Like during stage one, you know, they they just got a guy up from Contenders in Fusions, and almost within a couple of weeks, flipped him for potentially a top five um, tank. Mm, you know, and it's yeah. just. There, there is a ton of value in terms of bringing these guys up. If you have a good coaching staff and you can make these guys look good on stage, and then you know maybe there's some trouble going on in another team and they want to move a piece, then you can be in the conversation. Where because something Yiska mentions is, is like, was this the best they could get? Was there anything else potentially? And if you think about it, if they do want to go down a full Western path, then you know who else is there? Like what? What Western tanks do we have? You know, there's there's Muma in Houston, there's Fusions in Boston, right? Like, who else is there, really? Yeah, the, I mean, you could look to European contenders. So once again, then yeah. you have the problem with visas. Yeah. And that might well take way longer than these four weeks that yeah. we have now. In the, so that's all, always going to be a consideration where you probably want to hire someone that either already plays in, a, in an academy team where the visa process has been at least initiated. And I'm actually not sure, were all these players in the US from? Uh, yeah, every, everyone had, everyone on Mayhem Academy was in the US this season and everyone yeah. has a visa. Yeah, so that already is like a lot of value just in terms of uh, what that means for a transfer market. I honestly, it is a really, it's really prohibitive to um, contenders players at this point if you're not already engaged in that mm-hmm. yeah. process, yeah. All right, I think it's time for the gauntlet. I think we've said enough about this one, uh, Mineral. <laughs> we we've got some questions that we want to want to send your way. Thanks, Joe, mm-hmm. for putting all the time into the notes. By the way, I really appreciate it. Yeah, it really was... good questions too. I'm gonna take oh, the I'm first one work. because uh, it's probably the only one I can ask. <sighs> and so it's a, it was a really interesting one that Joe put out, and it was um, yeah. I'll just I'll just ask it straight away. What's the biggest problem the public doesn't know about or doesn't talk about with regards to coaching in the Overwatch League? Hmm. That's an interesting one. Um, I guess we can piggyback a little bit off of what we were talking about in terms of 
you know, culture clashes. I think that's a big one that is addressed, but maybe not, I guess people don't really understand how much of an issue it can be. And that's why you see a lot of these teams going either full Korean or full Western. Uh, there are obviously teams which have a healthy mix of both Korean and Western players, but it takes a very strong team culture, I think. It takes very open-minded players, both on the Western and the um, Korean side, to be able to pull that off, because I think you know the culture is really different. I've, I've now been part of teams where you have a minority of Koreans and a majority of Koreans, but never going full way one or the other. And I can tell you that it is very tough like the culture is very different they see things differently they want to practice in a different way so i think uh, that that's a big one that i think causes a lot of issues probably across the league so you know but which is why sometimes i guess teams choose to make these drastic moves and players become available as a result so i think that's maybe one um another thing is probably you know how much work it is is something that people maybe don't think about obviously it's talked about that it's definitely a grind but i think i think even the teams that are the best staffed in the entire league who have like full coaching staffs and, st and you know everything i still think they're understaffed and anyone who's under like below that threshold i think i feel sorry for those guys because you just get overwhelmed really really easily so i think Heading, especially heading into next year when you're going to travel back and forth, I think it's going to be the guys are going to burn out. So I think it's definitely going to be important for everyone to uh, staff up because the the load is massive. C can I you mean, just, you just don't watch vods by the way? No, just kidding. Sorry. <laughs> uh, yeah, go ahead, Yeska. Um, so one thing that is interesting that has been brought up to be by some of the staff from season one teams is that they actually feel the pressure is higher and the risk of burnout is higher now this season. Sort of against what one would think, because less games, you know, should lead to less stress. They argue less games leads to more stress and harder practice because one game means more. And just like flanking out at a specific time, especially if you're a team that, I mean, depending on your division, sometimes you just have this pressure of having to win here in order to still have a uh, prospect so do you think that's that's something that you noticed where, where was the pressure generally higher in season one or season two based on the system so i might not be the right person to ask this i think it's it's difficult for me to answer it because in season one i worked alone for a good chunk of the season Oof. yeah uh, okay so, so for yeah. me it was definitely season one um, I had a little bit more help in in, in season two, but yes, yeah, so I think for me it was it was them. But I, I mean, I definitely understand what you're saying in terms of every game is more valuable now. And also, back then you would play two games every week, so you there would be a lot of situations where you're like, well, we have we have three days to prepare for two matches on a back to back. We're not going to prepare for both games. There's no chance we're playing seven maps. So let's just prepare for the one that's going to have give us the highest chance to come out of this week. In a, in a positive manner whether that we're, like if we're an elite team we're going to prepare for the harder team if we're a bad team we're going to prepare for the team that we have a higher chance to win against and then you neglect the other team a little bit whereas now obviously with your games you have to prepare for every single game you see how much every single game matters in terms of stage playoff implications because map differential pretty much decides where you go yes. every single stage and that's a lot of money that you're competing for so yeah, I think uh, I, I can definitely see that angle in terms of there being more 
more pressure this season and obviously there's more interest as well there's more pressure from the fans if you start underperforming like the heat really comes comes at you like you saw with obviously with us with mayhem with uh, outlaws with a lot of the other teams that are at the bottom um you know there's there's definitely a lot of pressure this this kind of this this (laughs) is a really good answer i was like soaking it in Sorry, <laughs> this kind of sparked up because I uh, kind of through the grapevine, I had overheard some coaches talking and uh, about some of these these little nuance based problems that many people don't think of, like even when we're going into travel in, in 2020 with season three. Um you know, with practice, it's like, okay, well, what are we going to do with practice when we travel? What's, what's that about? You know, now it's, a, th- that kind of opened me up to like, wow, a lot of the basic stuff gets called into question. What do I do to eat? You know, well, what is, is that the coach's job? You know, how good is my manager then? Now you're actually going to get a, a good understanding of who's, who's doing what in your team. Is it, is it the coach's job? You know, how, again, how good is my manager? Is he or she, you know, moving around with the coach coordinating with you know uh, some sort of delivery service to get us where we need to go like things are going to be weird like is there anything on the horizon that you're you kind of uh i mean obviously being within you know the overwatch league for so long this probably had crossed your mind once or twice yeah and i mean just looking ahead i think it's a logistical nightmare because yeah. like like you said absolutely having good having good managers is going to be super important you know and i think season one i think a lot of there were a lot of teams that were underprepared that were maybe, maybe poorly run and i think heading into mm. season two everyone's a lot smarter there are a lot more people that understand the league and what it takes and how you sure. should run a team so i think that's sort of you know like everyone's learned how, how things work but Heading into season three, everyone's gonna have to re- relearn everything because you're flying around. How do we practice? How do we schedule? You know, how do we make sure that we're in time for practice? Like, you know, do we do we need an academy team to practice when we're at home? Yeah. You know, say say if we're at Paris and a London and we're playing at home for four weeks, who do we practice against? Other contender teams, you know, or yeah. or, each, or each other. But what what if Paris is on a road trip and we have no AL teams to prepare against? Then we only have our you know, we, either we play on bad ping or we practice against our academy team. So how much do we have to invest into our academy team to make sure that they're good enough to give us quality practice so that then when these guys come in and we perform in front of our fans, we're not going to, you know, put up a sorry performance because we're underprepared. We haven't been pushed in practice, you know? So I think it's, there's going to be a lot of things that are going to be tough. And I, I don't envy the general managers. Who no, have to figure out uh, it's weird. Out. I think that it, things are already tough. Like what I didn't oh, know sure. was in terms of uh, the homestand, the first one in Dallas. So of, of course, I, I didn't consider this at all, but of course there's not enough practice facilities for everyone to practice. So what happened was uh, Blizzard mandated practice or scrim blocks and scheduled them. Now in itself, so everyone gets a fair share of practice. The problem is, they were very rigid in the time frames where that had to happen. And if you remember, I, what team was there? There's one team that everybody can't prepare for, and you feel real bad if Blizzard just says, "Hey, you get to scrim Chengdu today. You guys, you guys excited for that one? You get to scrim against the team that's going to give you absolutely net zero practice against most teams in the league. Yeah. Congratulations, that's who you're scrimming today. <laughs> yeah, that's that. That. And also, let's not kid ourselves. 
Dallas no. probably has some practice facility in Dallas oh, that allows their yeah. team to completely practice through all the, the, this entire thing. So it's certainly a huge advantage in that regard. And again, this is no shade to Blizzard. Of course, this, you know, it's an unfortunate happen, yeah. circumstance. It just so happens that you have one team that's completely different from the league. So it's no shade against Blizzard. It's just, you know, a funny situation. That's yeah. a home court advantage, huh? Yeah. Definitely. It's, it, it's, it's also like that was that was the thing that opened my eyes like, whoa, like now teams are going to like, I don't know, what do you do? Buy laptops for the players so they can scrim like at their apartments to make it. like some sort of like, oh, well, yeah, like, OK, what happens if your your Internet goes out? Do you have like no, USB no. drives of like VODs to review instead? Like what? Do you, like, There's got to be fail safes upon fail safes because you're going to be all over the world. Apparently, I don't know. You know, it. What happens if your internet goes out? What happens if your hotel just doesn't have strong Wi-Fi to practice on? You got to do something. Yeah. This is the most opinionated on a subject you've ever been in 32 episodes, Joe. <laughs> I just need to say this, right? I it's about, it was pretty good last time. It's about, it's about hotel internet. If you ask, yeah. ask Joe how he feels about hotel internet in the Overwatch good. League, he's going to give you, he's going to give you something. So it's also if you've ever been to an esports event, especially if you stayed in a player hotel, you know it. Uh, hotel Wi-Fi is completely wrecked. Oh, yeah. everyone's on there. Everybody's phones, on the bandwidth, <laughs> watching something, and it, it turns into an absolute slugfest. So there's no way that when people are put into one location, that this is going to net any practice environment whatsoever. So, well, I believe uh, I believe it's already been said that all of the all of the places need to have practice facilities for both teams. Yes, for both teams. Yeah. Which, once again, would set like that sort of suggests to me. I, in my mind, I was like, okay, logistically, we probably have circuits moving moving around from arena to arena. But then someone says, okay, fourteen home games. Okay. Um, also, like only two teams need practice facilities. Probably not going to happen. By the way. Yeah. I mean, so, fourteen home games, but probably what seven or four or five actual home events. You know. Yeah. Like mm -hmm. realistically, like maybe people know something that I don't hear. There's not, there's people aren't traveling game by game. No, again, I, th I think that's the end goal, like way down the line. But for season three, I think logistically. I don't know in a global league if you can logistically make that happen. Like, I don't know. Like, imagine 30 yeah. teams, six in Europe. Like, I, I've scheduled <laughs> tournaments before and like, Baseball that's, tournaments in Minnesota? No, that's not. Yeah. That was tough. <laughs> so yeah. I, I don't imagine how you do it uh, worldwide. How do you even broadcast it? Like if, if it's only two teams in one location playing against each other and that's it, then how do you move on to the next game? Like where is the, are we going to broadcast from a studio in, you know, mm. North America? Like how, like all of that stuff. I have no idea how they'll figure yeah. it out. Mm -hmm. So hard. No. Production needs to be at the scene anyway no. at all times. Remote production, does that even work? Do you need mm -hmm. to set up like maybe you have like complete kits that uh, every arena has to have that then is very modulized, so to speak. So producers can log into that. Even then, you probably need people at the location. That is going to be challenging. No, I think the plan is to have actual like broadcast teams at the location, if I understand mm -hmm. correctly. Um but I mean, casters certainly should be at the location, right? Like they have to be there. You have to hear mm -hmm. the the crowd and all that. So, like, I think yes. they have to. But, but maybe they'll put like certain caster duos in a location. So mm -hmm. all the home games in Asia, UberX, and 
Google mm. uh, Extra Casting, and then Monty and Doa maybe take the Enacer. I, I don't know. Like may, maybe that's mm. how they're going to do it because making casters fly all around the world is like they're going to burn out as well. It's rough. I think I think they want to go the traditional sports route where each team, each franchise mm. has two or whatever voices of the franchise that ended up casting mm-hmm. those thing. And I think like some who can afford it have you know over it's, it's just such a sh- and then, uh, then some have good. kick tripod and volamel <laughs> yeah. but by the way i think that's very likely to happen based on some of the information i have that it's just going to be a little bit compartmentalized who casts which games yes. from which team yeah. um yeah. and that is certainly going to happen now one thing you hinted at is very interesting to me is like the home advantage what that means right so I remember reading this 538 article about home advantages in regular sports. And as it turns out, they cor- like corrected for all the other factors. And it seemed to be the case that the biggest influence or much of the home advantage was actually in influencing the referee's decisions. Now, of course, this doesn't happen in esports as much or at all, depending on the game. But... It's still interesting to me what that then means to have home advantage, possibly. Because certainly there's uh, the psychological effect of playing in front of a home crowd doesn't necessarily have to be only positive for all players. Certainly some players crumbling under the pressure. But also, um, yeah, just just the the idea that maybe you get, to pra- get better practice at home because of the facilities known to you and you don't have to travel, that's probably a big thing. We, we haven't even thought about like um, jet lag when people have to travel, depending on where they have to travel. Like, I'm not sure what home advantage will mean in Overwatch, but depending on what kind of system we play under next year, it might, it might be just as big as it is in sports. Yeah, I think maybe even bigger because, you know, it's, it's like all of the things you said, the jet lag factor, that's not really that big of a factor in, say, the NBA where, you know, you're traveling through time zones, but it's not that bad. G- guys hours, in max. NBA, yeah. yeah, they also play 82 games. So everyone is sort of used to crowds, like crowds obviously influence you, but not too much. Um, whereas, you know, we only have 28 games a season. There's probably going to be a lot of rookies coming into the next season. You're going to play in front of big crowds, and that's going to influence you a lot. You're not sleeping in your own bed. You're sleeping in a hotel with uh, iffy Wi-Fi, you know, whereas the other team has a neat practice facility, has all the practice partners, you know. I, I think, like, all of these things will add up a ton, and I'm, I'm very curious to see how, how it's going to look like statistically, but I think it's going to be a very big deal. Joe, I'm not going to let you get started on the Wi-Fi part, but uh, there's also the fact that traditional sports, you know, if if you're playing basketball or baseball and you are competent enough to play that professionally someday, you're traveling at the age of 10. Mm -hmm. You're you're playing in other cities at at the age of 10. You're you're doing all these different things where it's not like, okay, cool, I turn 18, time to travel the world. Like, it's it's very much flip on the light switch as well. So... It'd be really interesting to see how people kind of Which adapt is another to that. kind of parallel to to kind of traditional sports and, and how it relates to esports, because we don't have like foundational development at a very young age for esports yet. Right. We're, we're starting to see collegiate stuff come in and, and, you know, God bless all the people going out there doing high school stuff, because I, I can't imagine that being very fun. Um but we, you don't have those kind of, you know, coaches that you, you, you develop with, especially in the States. You don't, you, we have like 
you know, traditional coaches that you can go to and you respect and you learn how to be coached and you figure out, is this for me? I don't know. But a lot of these kids are still just, I played this game for a long time. I'm real good at it. Now I'm getting paid for it. And I'm supposed to go and learn how to deal with travel anxiety and, and, and deal with, you know, public relate, like doing, doing PR stuff, like just doesn't make sense to a lot of these kids. And I think travel is going to influence that like tenfold and become its own issue that like, you're going to see a lot of people flake out and it's not, not to their detriment. It's nothing against them. This is just hard. It's hard to do this, let alone practice and learn and understand the meta and, you know, figure out when I'm supposed to be doing this, that the other thing. Oh, and then I have to catch this flight and it's delayed. And, oh, my manager's complaining and we got to do like, that's a lot of pressure that like just normal people don't have. I go to my nine to five, I come home. And then I do whatever I want, right? Most like kids in esports don't have that kind of training by osmosis by going through a system. Yeah, yeah. Here's that, another that one. Surprises me. Here's another one. Here's, All right, yeah. Here's another strange thing. What about broadcast times? <laughs> like, what, at what time do you do you broadcast the European games? Mm -hmm. uh whatever time works the best for na we already know this yeah. answer <laughs> yes like yes. Of, of all this of all the stupid <laughs> questions that get asked on this show that's the worst it's just optimized for na we already know yeah. this yeah i i know my brain's currently fried for nate manzer wakes up at, at 3 30 a.m so funny spends two and a half hours in the gym and <laughs> grooming his beard and then does his day, and then you know he needs to be at bed at a decent time. So that's why we optimize for NA Pacific time. This is just not. It was it was hilarious. We were sat in and yes, his Discord last night and watching the games, or maybe not even really watching the games, just kind of like observing the games. Um, and he pops in like at what was it for you? Like five a.m. Five a.m. Yeah, he pops in, watches the games. He's like, Nah, I'm going back to bed. No, and, no, no, and no. again, what what actually happened was I woke up. I'm on the verge of drinking my coffee, and like London uh, loses this, so it's two one, and they are completely getting stomped. I'm like, maybe I should hold off on this coffee, and I just put the <laughs> coffee down. One hour six minutes later, that match was over, and I was like, oh, I can go back to bed, and I don't have to <laughs> stay up the entire time. Like such a pain because we were talking about this earlier, like. I remember getting up for like early StarCraft two matches in, in Korea and even Apex in Korea, like watching a game at 5 a.m. and then immediately trying to like catch some more sleep so I can actually be a productive human being like at a decent hour doesn't is not conducive of like Absolutely retaining not. information. It's like yeah. impossible. So, yeah. yeah, like normalizing the schedule, maybe even bringing in more European teams. I know that they said they weren't super interested in it um for season three but i think it's mandatory at least in the future i think homestands get optimized for assuming that we have a homestand-esque sure. thing next season mm -hmm. it gets optimized for the the local audience right they're not gonna fill a stadium of three thousand people <laughs> at 3 a.m just because nate nanzer wants to watch at three in the afternoon in <laughs> california okay that, that that's not gonna happen but eventually but eventually i do think that they're, they're they they I think they keep it normalized. If we see true home and away games like consistently and not these little home stands, mm -hmm. I think it m must be a totally scattered broadcast then, right? Because there's certainly issues with like arenas closing or not allowing certain ages to sure. uh, still be outside in Europe. So 
this is going to be a huge challenge. I, I cannot even come up with a solution for this, right? That it's like midday matches. I don't know. It's it's so like it's at three a.m. These playoff matches start. Like there's no way you can sort of make this work with Europeans. Like the difference is nine hours to the West Coast. Mm-hmm. There's like the broadcast won't take that long. I can even see that some games will be um, starting at the same time. I don't think we will have like a a show if you want. That oh, goes I agree. I think finish. that eventually, like if you have 30, 30 teams or whatever, like let's say the ultimate goal is around thirty. I think is what Nancy said at one point. Like yeah, something like that. You have thirty teams playing every week internationally. There's no way that you don't run into overlap. There's obviously the one side of things where, you know, in the NFL, you have, you know, 12 o'clock, 3 o'clock, 6 o'clock mm-hmm. games or whatever. And then Monday night football and now Thursday night. And is there a Tuesday like night again, too, or whatever? Because, know. you know, there's more of that. But there are two or three games going at noon. There's two or three games going at three. And you just hope that you're in a region <laughs> in the United States where one of your teams is playing at the time that that gets broadcast and whatever. So I, there's probably an aspect where like we're streaming on the internet luckily. So we don't really have to deal with, it's not like I have to subscribe to MLG.tv yet. Maybe I, you're I right. Know. You know, UFC you get, you get said that with ESPN, you, you get the watch Twitch all feed of whatever they tell whatever. you to watch. And then if you subscribe at MLG, then you get, you know, the whole uh, fifty-yard line. What is it called? The I don't, I don't, don't know. It's a the, yeah, the NHL center ice where you can watch any of them. And I hope they black out games too. I'm just kidding. MLG, MLG had this ten. They years tried ago, to do the, yes years ago where they tried to go. Hey, we're gonna gate your time yep. watching our events, which at the time they were like weekend events for multiple games. And they tried, they were really early on trying to figure out monetization for esports and, and trying to get people to pay for it. And uh don't think it worked too well. For yeah. Me. The road papers, they didn't make it very far. Yeah. yeah. Here's a short little anecdote because they, at this time they bought Godfrack and they wanted to have coverage. Right. Mm-hmm. And they were like, Oh yeah, we have wow arena. Why don't you write for us? So I didn't know what that entailed. And we're like, yeah, okay. So just write like matches up and whatever. And we promote it on stream. And then I will ended up like, I, th- I think I got like eight hours of sleep over the course of three days. And I bought this, this uh, pass. I think it was 280p live streams. And then it upped it to two, uh, 720 or something. Sounds so like I could that. do my job. <laughs> so I paid 10 bucks. And the, the editor-in-chief was like, yeah, I'll get you a little something. Never got me anything. I was actually 10 euros down from working Paid. 60 hours that weekend. Welcome to the esports <laughs> grind of paying to write. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I love it. Godfrey, you still owe me. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's go back. Uh, Joe, where do you want to go next with this, man? Um, hmm. Not so fast, man. Not, not yeah. so fast. It, it's 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 I, I think you brought up a pretty interesting point mineral you know going back to what kind of pressure is on coaches now going back to season one like you mentioned you're alone for most of that season so i kind of wanted to get like a what was your day like um and, and how little was there was that involved in sleeping 
because I can't imagine, yeah. you know, this this was the era of like, oh, teams don't really know. Like, I shouldn't say teams. Ownership doesn't know what's what this entails yet. This is like, oh, like one or two coaches should be able to manage this. Yeah. No. Well, yeah, so like, I, I also... Just, Sorry, mm. I also want to know what it's like to be able to train yourself to sleep and watch VODs at the same time. That's yeah. all I want. Like, how do you do that? So <laughs> besides that, sorry. What was what was that like? What was like a day in the life of a season one coach kind of working by himself to try and make up teamwork? Uh, well, it was it was pretty rough. Uh, I'd imagine. say until uh, until we moved sort of a little closer to uh, to the arena where, cause everyone pretty much season one, pretty much everyone practiced at the arena on the land client, whereas now everyone practices from their own facilities on OPR. Uh, so everyone, everyone would drive down to the facility to practice. So and, until we moved closer, um, and until we got in some assistance, um, I know I, I was probably doing like anywhere from like 10 to 14 hours a day. Um, and we're like no, no, pretty much no days off for like maybe two months, um, because obviously on my days off, on the one day off we have, I have to prepare for two opponents that week. Yeah. So I have to do the, that. That's sort of when I have to go in and do the scouting and you know making make sure we're prepared, that we're strategically sound, that I have something to present for, uh, you know, to, to start the week. So yeah, I mean, it's it's just it was kind of a lot because I had to uh, do. I have to wear, had to wear a lot of hats. You know, I had to do mm. the scouting. I had to do the feedback during the matches. I had to be the team psychologist in a way, in terms of you know get, getting the guys uh, motivated and you know all, all that stuff. So, yeah. and like what I learned from like the biggest lesson I took away from that was that you have to learn to prioritize even if like it's seemingly like an impossible situation. I don't look at it as oh I was just put in a shitty position and there's nothing i could have changed you know i sure. look back at it and i'm like well i was trying to do all of these things and i was working so many hours but i was kind of um diluting my workload and i was doing an average job let's say on in every category you know and what, what i realized was that because obviously when results are poor and you know maybe a certain player is underperforming and players start losing trust for each other that should be my, my priority as a coach because it doesn't really matter how good we are strategically, how strategically sound we are, or mm. how prepared we are if players don't trust each other, if they go into practice, you know, with something weighing on them. So that's something I certainly realized that I should have been more on top of the guys. Like, don't, don't prepare for every game, like, pr prioritize, you know? Like, I think that's what a head coach in Overwatch League has to do even now, regardless of how much staff you have. You, you look at the 20 problems every team inevitably has, you isolate, like, the two or three most important ones, and then you solve them and you get ahead of them. And, you know, th that's something I got a chance to do a little bit this year, but obviously, you know, looking back at last year, that's probably my, my biggest takeaway and what I learned uh, the most. But wow. yeah, obviously working alone is, is, is a bit rough. <laughs> yeah. and you have to prioritize. That is one of my biggest gripes with like players in Overwatch. It's like their underappreciation of someone of coaches in general before the Overwatch League was already laughable at times. So it's, it's like, well, he doesn't do, really do anything. It's like, okay, so every time I hear that, culture, dude, literally, the head coach has a responsibility towards setting the team's culture, right? Mm -hmm. The difference between, uh, and then it's always like, well, and then when the when the results are not happening, it's like, 
well, he doesn't really do anything. He just tells us when to... It's like, dude, the difference between a head coach being like the guy that imposes the culture and then has the analysts uh, working around him is a championship win or being Washington Justice, mm -hmm. where the head coach is probably strategically very strong and has, doesn't have a proven track record of setting a, uh, a team culture. So... Like that skill set certainly is very valuable, and also is there's transitional skill from other esports where you can bring in this these coaches. For instance, London did it right. So certainly, just like in terms of setting the tone of how things are approached, but then also getting the brains in, but then having a leader that also can evaluate. Like the the most important skill in Overwatch, also the most underdeveloped skill in Overwatch, is the guy that evaluates the evaluator. So a GM that says, I don't really know enough about Overwatch, but I know this guy has something in his personality or in his skill set that radiates leadership and whatever decisions he makes, he's a good people's person, like he understands what, what kind of uh, tools he needs. He needs like a strats guy, he needs maybe like a, like a numbers guy, and he also has the ability to judge their skill set without necessarily having it that is like so underrated in overwatch just as like a skill for a gm and a lot of them knows that of course this is something that also can be learned or has to be learned and we ha didn't have much time for these gms it is actually kind of sad because gms legitimately need to be excellent at in their job they have a responsibility to be excellent at their job because they are the gatekeepers to greatness right they tell you, okay, we're signing this player, we're saying this coach, and they are facilitating everything. It basically all comes down, okay, maybe it's not the GM in name, depending on what the franchise is, but sure. there's this one person that has most of the responsibility and most of the leadership, and if this, this guy isn't virtually the most talented person in the organization, you're probably going to run into issues along the way. Hmm. Yeah, I definitely agree. Like the importance of having really solid management, someone, someone in that position who's really good. And like to touch on something that you said as well, in terms of, you know, like the head coach has to be someone who sets the culture. I, I can definitely, and, and you mentioning Washington, obviously, I don't know what's really going on there. Mm -hmm. And I can't say this or that, but in terms of like, that's a role you have to it's like it's being a completely different skill set from the strategical standpoint. I 100% agree because like heading into the league, uh, I also was kind of, you know, I, I was sort of a glorified strategic coach, right? Mm -hmm. So I, I was sound strategically. I could really contribute with that. But I wasn't, you know, the type, like, I, I wasn't, I didn't understand, like, how to really run a team from a, the point of view of, like, how do we solve these issues? How do we address them? How do we not shy away from conflict? How do we, you know tackle all of these things and we're proactive in solving these things i think it's it's very difficult to learn that i think i think you have to first of all understand that that's your job and you have to take on the responsibility which i did as the time went along and i mm -hmm. definitely understood it this year but it's it's very difficult if you don't have that experience because maybe you haven't been in a position where you have to deal with players egos or players talking back how do you do how do you set the culture where everyone accepts these things you know you look at, at a team like shock where they come in and they have an undefeated stage, like to me, that's a sign of a really strong culture. Like no one's, yeah, no, no one's like part of my friends. Like no one's fucking around there. They're coming in and they're looking to wreck you every game. They're not taking maps off. They're 
they're hungry to yeah. get back and win the game. And like that's the culture I think that's mm-hmm. set by Presti and, and the coaching staff over there. And I think, you know, like that's it's it's so important to have that. And like you say, I think it's uh, it's important to both find the right person and a head coach who can carry that load and do that, but also have people above him who can steer him in the right direction, have that experience. And again, like a lot of GMs also were coming in sort of raw into season one. I didn't know what their jobs were. Well, do I contribute here? Do I contribute there? Like what, what is actually my role? So yeah, I think uh, it's, there's definitely a ton of value in, uh, in, in both roles. A lot of it, I, it sounds like is delegation and, and knowing yep. where your weaknesses are. Like, yep. I, am I the strongest strategically? No. Okay. Let me hire somebody who is, D- am I the best manager? No. Let me get somebody who is, let me get the team leader. Let me get the glue guy in so that we, we can sure up those weaknesses. Um, is it the GM? I don't know. I don't know if it's the GM that needs to do that. I I can't imagine what their, their day to day is either. I can. uh, It's very variable to depending on the organization. I would imagine. It depends on the organization. And I also wonder who's making the business decisions behind the scenes. Is it, is it, you know, are, are the GMs the ones going out and finding the, you know, the arenas trying to make those deals go, you know, happening, whatever, you know, there's a lot of franchise moves that either need to be delegated elsewhere because it, it, it does feel like the league in general is just understaffed and there hasn't been a good like churning of exactly what, who does what where. Right. Is the GM supposed to be booking the flights or is that a team manager? Does every team have a team manager? Like you said, it is variable between all the teams. And that's got to kind of figure itself out. I don't know that the league is going to be mandating that by any any time or ever. I don't, um, I don't think they should either, though. Right. No, like part of it, though, is is there is somebody in the organization. I don't want to say GM, but probably the GM who's like delegating sure. these tasks. Right. PR, social media coaching okay head coach you're taking care of this part mm-hmm. come back to me like that that feels like that's how it should run definitely um and obviously i, think it varies. It? I don't know like, like i really it, don't it definitely varies too there are definitely teams who thrive on this close-knit mm-hmm. really small organization and i sure, mean you sure. you look at I, i'm on the liquidpedia page for the mayhem right now and it, from CEO down to everybody else, they have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve people. Eleven, if you don't count um, their streamer, they have eleven people in the organization now. They've clearly like made some like additions there, but mm-hmm. you can't just like translate that to wins, right? No, like that, that doesn't not. mean, and you know, and so I think. A million dollar question is, and man, you, you cannot answer this one if you don't want to. So, you know, Mineral, you're back in a position as, you know, a, a GM or a head coach or whatever. Like what for you would have translated a team like the Florida Mayhem to a, like a playoff caliber team? How I would translate Florida Mayhem? Uh, like get the Florida Mayhem-esque team. Like how do you get a team okay. like that? Because obviously... You, that you were trying to do that the whole time. Like that's, that's not, mm. but like, you know, you've got a team, like what resources yeah. would, would ha- maybe have changed that journey for you? I guess is what I would ask. Mm. So in terms of stepping into another team, I don't really, it's like, it's just so difficult for me to say, because you have to step in and you have to figure out where are the issues? Do we have a talent issue? Do we have a staff issue? 
Is it a combination of both? Is it a culture issue? You know, do we, do we have the right people to, you know, how, how do we want to build the team from the ground up? And I think obviously it starts, it starts with management and then goes downwards. You have to have strong people and have the right people making the decisions. And then you build the roster to kind of um, sort of try and emulate that uh, culture. And, uh, but, but it's impossible for me to say to st- like stepping into an vi- environment of a bottom tier team and figuring out like where's where's the issue. It, it's all very situational, I think. Um, in, in terms of mayhem, I mean, I don't know. Like it's it's difficult to say because you say obviously I try to, you know, d- do better mm-hmm. and make, get get them higher, but we we failed. I think we, you know, obviously state, season one was just like we were so underprepared from every possible aspect. Um, and then you know season two, I think we made we made good moves, but I think we didn't make enough of them. Um, there were there were still there were still a lot of things we could have done better to to build up a better like in in, in all in all well this this is one like one thing in terms of like me talking about most teams being understaffed. I think one of the biggest things is that like no teams really have dedicated scouts as far as I know, and I think. That's so important to have someone mm-hmm. like whose full-time job is to just watch all the um, sort of contenders regions, even open division, like really yeah. going out there and finding your next generation of talent. I completely exactly because if I'm the head coach and like my assistant coaches during the season, you don't have time to really watch all the contenders games. Then off season comes and you're like, well, we, now we have to start working on this. But it's it would be so much easier if someone already gave you a lot of information and you can sort of parse through that and then look look at things instead of that being your your obligation i think that's that's a big thing like i think you have to build out an infrastructure in a in a team where you think about all of these things the stuff we talked about before academy how do we build up a strong academy even though we might it might be a bad expense now how do we build that out and leverage that into maybe you know flipping it flipping players for better pieces in the future like all these things there's so many variables and it's so hard to control all of these things that you have to sort of do it uh, one step at a time. And I think uh, in some aspects, we, I think Mayhem definitely improved others. I think we still could have done a much better job. I think one aspect where we improved is definitely the Academy team, you know, like obviously now they, you you can see the results of the guys developing. Obviously they got upset in the contenders um, bracket, but the players are still good. So, so it opens up the doors for a lot of a lot of moves. Whereas if you don't have an academy team, your hands are tied. You're waiting till next season, pretty much. So because of like what Jessica said, in terms of visas and stuff, it takes so long time. You have to sign the players. You have to negotiate, agree with everything, and then bring bringing them over. You know, it's um, yeah. I mean, I mean, I, I kind of rambled on. I don't really know if I answered your question, but yeah. Basically, what you're saying is it's, it's complicated. Tough. A lot of it's not, yeah. yeah it so it's it complicated. Yeah. I kind of I, I tried to kind of go somewhere tongue in cheek, maybe a little bit, mm-hmm. but the, the fact is, is like. We've all seen the comments and the people who you know are like, oh yeah, just like change this, just sign better players, get a lol. psychologist, just forehead. get more people in your organization, lol. Like just do yeah. this, lol. Like it's it's not, it's so nuanced. Not, it's and never that easy. I don't want to say like it's it's um, unattainable because it's it's not. Clearly, teams have you know found certain things and part of it for luck. Like there's at least two organizations who I, I've talked to who are just like. Honestly, we got really lucky that these were the pieces that we put together because we didn't actually account for that, but it ended up working. But there are also other teams where it's like, we thought that we were, we had everything that we needed. And now we're like, well, f- 
So, um, yeah, there's, okay. yeah. Can, can I just, like, if I look at the current league standings, we, we've talked about, like, golden ratios before in this podcast where Zen performance was very strong last season. Um, like, in terms of, okay, the best Zens are also probably in the upper echelon and the best, worst Zens. Then this season we talked about D, uh, Divas. Dude, I'll t straight up tell you, the golden ratio is investment. The bottom teams are the ones that invest the least, and the top teams are the ones that invest the most. And on a graph, like the, the only outliers really that I see are Boston Uprising, who once again get amazing bang for their buck and have already done so last season. But if, if I like just like Vancouver, definitely not cheap. New York Excelsior, not cheap. San Francisco buying striker, like dude. Mm. Of course they they've budgeted. In. London Spitfire might still be the team with the highest buyouts ever paid uh, in Overwatch League, yeah, and that was even before the league even started. Gladiators comes in, Mister Three Hundred K, right? Dallas Fuel definitely pays some of the best salaries, uh, and they have a deep coaching staff as well. Like, so Absolutely. they have a surprising number of coaches and well, I should say support staff. It's not specifically coaches, but yeah. Philadelphia fusion. I don't think we need to know, like talk much about that. That's certainly also the case. Huangzhou spark. I don't know too much about them. Soul pays well, like, and then you go down. Of course, we know about this, just the situation through the grapevine, like Houston Outlaws is in that predicament. Well, well now heard... you're seeing the justice getting an influx of money as to your point. You, they yep. get an influx of money, and they suddenly, have the signings, and suddenly they start to do better. Yeah. So it, the really the only outliers that I see is like Boston Uprising. And I also think Charge is underperforming for what mm. I hear they are investing. Other than that, it's pretty much uh, like just going through the table. While it won't be like perfect uh, in terms of like what the expenses of each team are, it is also that is a pretty high correlation if we're being honest. Yeah, I would, I would agree. Oh, I think that's a terrific point. It's something they thought about as well because obviously Vancouver is number one. They haven't lost a game, but you know what did it cost? Probably several million just in buyouts, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, you you want to drop that, then you're probably going to be on top at, at the top. Like Definitely. Shock also pays a ton, right? So, like like you say, Boston is an interesting interesting example because I think if you made sort of a power ranking in terms of dollars spent per win. <laughs> I think they Boston would be is at yeah, the top of that. <laughs> not even close. They're like yeah. Yeah, S tier, and then there's no A tier or B tier. <laughs> no, no. Yeah. They are the most value town team I've ever seen in my life. Like Trump exactly. Starcraft is all about Boston Uprising, dude. Yeah. And I mean, so, and I think like when you're building a team, you have to, there's two approaches. You either pay a large sum of cash for a core or for an entire team, or you try and pick bits and pieces and if you're mm -hmm. going the bits and pieces approach you better have really good scouting and like go, go through the, the like do your due diligence and put things together and which which boston has done two years in a row now you know so like a lot of credit to them and obviously like with mayhem we also tried to go in a similar approach but you know it didn't really uh pan out but you know it's uh like all most of the expansion teams like most of them picked up course from other teams Right. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, and and then you add pieces here and there, and I think the challenge for because it's something also to think about it, like the challenge for a team that had a really poor season one showing, if you're hitting the reset button and you're cleaning the roster, 
Mm. And you're dealing with eight other uh, expansion teams that have a one month period where they can sign players and you can't. Like, yes, that's it's very difficult for an existing team that played that like didn't play their cards right in season one to rebuild and bounce right back up because you're 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 sort of an expansion team, but you're working up an uphill battle because the other expansion teams have have an edge and they probably have you know large budgets as well because they're just starting up. They just bought into the league. They want to you know come come in and and perform well. And a lot of teams, yeah, a lot a lot of teams did buy buy up cores and yeah. So I think it's you have you either go one way or the other. And I think Boston is sort of the only team that has done really really well in terms of scouting individual players and just snagging players especially from like different regions as well yeah like they just got somebody from pack persia that you know looked okay like i i don't know too terribly much about him but i'm starting to realize that boston has a system and they whoever they've got scouting has a has a good track record so bringing him in i i have much more a, a, a higher expectation than i would if any other team would have picked him up so well we said this at the beginning gonna... of this season right we're just like uh you know like boston did great in season one i need to see just a touch more enough? before i'm a believer yeah I, yeah i gotta I'm, say i'm, I'm starting pr- to become I'm a believer pretty much a believer at this point yeah. so sorry you, boston you fans talk. because whatever team <laughs> i start liking uh start they start doing really poorly so i mean shock's doing okay yeah. I think they're doing okay for themselves. It's that's true, but once I stopped going to their viewing parties, they all of a sudden oh, go. And then they 20, drop a game. They go twenty-eight and zero, and then I go uh, to a viewing party uh, and they drop a game. So that's on me. My bad. Uh, You're the anti-Hurek. I am. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, the good old boy. Yeah. Yeah. Joe, where else? I know you've got a few other questions, and they're really good ones. Um, one that kind of popped up mid conversation, um, is kind of evaluation of coaches and, and what, um, what you as a, a a current former coach, but I I would still, you know, probably still call you a coach. Just you have that experience. You have that mind. So I I would call you a coach. Um, what do you look at? Do you have anybody that you are friends with that you, you kind of bounce ideas off of? Like, who would you, who would you say in the league currently, Obviously, like Krusty's a great example of like good coaching. You can see it through the play. You can see it through the discipline, the track records there. Who else would you say, in in your opinion, is, you know, a a standout coach that people are uh, not taking uh, enough credit or giving enough credit, I should say? Mm, That's a very good question. Again, like it's very, very difficult to gauge Mm. because you don't really know what people are doing behind the scenes, you know? so so what you end up doing is you end up looking at the results and you're like, well, this is, mm. you know, these guys are performing well, therefore the coaches are good. Or these teams are performing bad, therefore the coaches are bad. So I think I think it's very easy to fall into that trap. But obviously, you know, Pavain has a pretty good track record with NYXL, but he also has one of the strongest rosters. Um, I think, you know, I've heard good stuff about some of the guys in, in London, obviously. Mm. Um, I think the team that probably deserves the most credit i'm looking at the list of teams now is boston um because you know obviously they they've scouted talent well but i think to be able to develop that many rookies you have to have really good coaches and i think mm-hmm. obviously season one they had crusty and shake and then shake obviously took over the head coaching duties and i think did a he's good done, job like he's boston done well. looked, yeah exactly like boston looked good even after crusty left uh, and then this year, they also to that they added Goomba, who I think uh, was behind a lot of the success 
uh, in Valiant. You know, he, he left and obviously not much else changed in Valiant, but a lot of their performances dropped off. And I think uh, from, from what I've heard, from what I'm seeing, from like talking briefly to Goomba, I, I think he has a very good mind for the game and he's very, very sound strategically. Obviously, I competed against him um, in the World Cup and, you know, he's he is strategically super sound. So I think what they're doing in Boston is... Um, is terrific, even though you know they're seven seven. They're they're yeah. they're not very stable, but I think as coaches, they're they're very very solid. Now this kind of transitions well into you know some of the results we saw you know going into the stage playoffs. A team that I noticed that you were pretty big on was the uh, the old Hangzhou Spark. What would you say? Because we constantly hear that oh they're so clean behind the scenes and oh they're so good. Even going in you know stage one, like this was the team that everybody was hyping up and boy did they underperform. Would you say that their coaching has been strong? Is there do you have any kind of inclination that that might be the case like general thoughts about Hangzhou but also like in relation to coaching and how their performance has increased I would say so it's very difficult for me to gauge their coaching like I can't I, I don't feel comfortable like saying they're good or they're bad it's it's very difficult to say I think going into the league they looked very strong because they were relying on a lot of DPS compositions and these funky comms that no one really knew how to deal with okay. but then eventually three three teams figured it out. They had to figure out all the rotations. And then Hangz was like, well, crap, we have to go 3-3 as well. And I think they were maybe lagging behind a little bit in terms of, uh, uh, you know, their um, th understanding of 3-3, mm. which is like they're definitely catching up now. And I think also, obviously, Night No Smite was playing uh, and Gucci was on the bench, presumably because of the language barriers. I think that was the biggest issue, you know. And now we see when Gucci is, is, is unlocked, he's... Absolutely insane when seemingly yeah. they've gotten over some of the calm issues. Uh, my read on Valiant, why I was high on them going to these playoffs, was like even at the beginning of the stage when they were losing some games and they didn't mm -hmm. feel that stable, I looked at their play and to me they looked so good uh, with Winston 3 3. Like even mm -hmm. I think it was against either Vancouver or Shock, like they were, I think they were playing against Vancouver on Gibraltar. And I, even though Vancouver won that game, I thought Hangzhou's. Uh, Hanzo just kind of threw that match, but their Winston through three fundamentals look much more solid than Vancouver's even because of mostly because of how damn good Gushue is. Like his mechanics are insane. How fast mm. he farms his his ult. Like, like you saw yesterday, he was lapping gesture and yeah. getting two ults for one. Like he's he's absolutely insane. And I think their biggest issue was that on maps where they had to rely on Ryan at the beginning of stage two. I could tell that they were struggling from a communication standpoint because they were really not in sync with their movement. Mm. They weren't reading the enemy movement. Their bubble usage was really, really bad. They, you could see so many times where Gusha was holding up shield, he would get a bubble and he would not be swinging, which means that there's there's not communication there in terms of, okay, let's take space with these bubbles. So you saw them just getting run over by more aggressive teams. And I felt like, well, that's like, if they can solve that, if if that communication issue can get solved and they can get more solid with Ryan 3-3, I think they can be super good. And then, you know, we saw the game against uh, Seoul and I thought, well, they look much better than Seoul with Ryan 3-3. Mm. Gusha was winning every trade. He was getting, you know, 50% of his shatter on every bubble trade. Whereas Marvel is getting like 15% and he was just winning these early fights with Shatter. So I thought like after seeing that game against um, Seoul, I just felt like their biggest weakness was kind of fixed, which is why I was high on them going to these mm. places. I still, I still thought London would win this, but I thought it would be really, really close. And I'm not that surprised yeah. that 
they won. I think sure. the reason I think the reason was that dominant as well is because two of the maps were um, Winston three three mirrors as well, and you know London just got smashed in that. Even on Blizzard World, which I mean. I think we see a yeah. little bit of variance there, but for the most part, it's a Ryan three three map, and yeah. it was a, it was a clinic. I felt like yeah. London just kind of got. I, I don't I don't really know. Like I, I constantly, I mean, I, I started to review the match a little bit before the show, and I I mean, Bria just sneaking behind the, the the front line and being able to juggle gesture like two fights in a row. Like, what about London? Okay, so let me let me reframe the question. Uh, what about London in that match kind of fell apart? Because I'm I'm at a loss for trying to figure out what they did wrong. Was it was it a focus thing? Did they not were they paying attention to Rhea? What what do you think happened with London going into that loss? Because again, I like you mentioned, like I assumed London probably would have put up a better fight and maybe could have edged them out, but this was convincing. Yeah. So, I mean, like what I look at when I look at three, three mirrors is obviously you have to have good ult usage and all that stuff. But what I look at is, does this team know how to properly trade? Does every player understand how to pr properly trade with bubbles? And if you if you look back at that Blizzard World game, I think um, London had pretty much only had one gear. They would take every corner by bubbling first and just pushing as a six-man unit. And uh Hangzhou had really good distance management they would step step away they would space out so that gesture was only swinging on Gushue and then they would retake space with their own bubbles and if you look back just a couple of weeks ago against Vancouver the same thing worked for Vancouver they were initiating first with bubbles Gushue was getting his bubble while standing still but then Rhea was taking the swings uh Godsby was taking the swings and you just lose all the space but uh, I think what 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 I saw on Blizzard World was that they were doing that aspect much better, and they were reading the distance. They were reading London's movement, and they uh, kind of picked them apart from you know in that regard. Mm. Uh, in, in which case, you kind of fall back on well, can we clutch individually? Which is a lot more difficult to do in this meta. You know, Fury tried his best. He ate a couple of grabs, yeah. but obviously, just eating a grab isn't enough if you're losing every single trade pretty much. Um, losing the neutral as the kids say these days exactly and it's all like you saw gesture overreaches yeah. his, his bubble gets blown up and he gets booped into six people and it just disappears you know and mm. and then london is trying to use ults to try and save him and then you're just messing up your entire ult economy and just get snowballed like that so uh that, that's why i saw in the ryan matchup i think oasis was very close it could have gone either way um I think I, I was happy to see how well uh, Ding was playing on the Pharah and how well yeah. they executed with the 3DPS and then immediately switching and transitioning to the Sombra Goats for the retake when they only needed one fight. I think that's very smart. If you saw the game against like Washington and Boston, I think that's certainly something Boston had the opportunity to do and they would have probably come out with a win against Washington. But you can see uh, you could see Hangzhou doing that and you know, just, just winning the game off of smart swaps and executing with their DPS comps. So just strategically sound, I think their swaps were good. Uh, obviously, I'm not a big fan of um, DPS compositions in this meta, but they, they got it to work and they swapped at the right times. And then their Winston 3-3 is just uh, impeccable. Like, Gushia just carries so many fights. Yeah. So yeah. Another quick question. Um, a lot of people have kind of postulated that uh, one of the big reasons why NYXL style has kind of fallen off is this big Lucio change within regards to how how quickly teams can uh, engage rotations, if that makes sense, how quickly they can rotate. Do you think that um, 
that change has affected London negatively? Is that the reason why you think they might be a little bit lacking on uh, their kind of macro play? The reason why they're trying to force these corners really hard is because they're they're kind of locked into this old, old fashioned like Lucio style where they can like speed through those corners. And maybe that's not just how you should be playing right now. Is that have any semblance of thought to it? Um, I think it's difficult to say, but I think they did look very like it felt like they played, you know, the the tendencies were pretty clear and they were playing sort of in the same way. And again, like that's a style that worked for Vancouver just a couple of weeks Mm -hmm. ago. So maybe they scouted that and said, thought, well, uh, Hamza doesn't respond well to pressure. This is how we should engage. This is how we should pressure them. But ultimately, I think the best three, three teams, Vancouver, Shock, all these teams, what they do very well is that they adapt on the fly. They notice a tendency and they can change their style. They're not like, well, this is the game plan. We're always going to use our bubbles this way. We're always going to use our ults this way, you know, because this team plays this style. If you look at Shock and Vancouver, they always adapt. They always change it up. Sometimes they bubble first, sometimes they bubble second. So if you get run over one fight, uh, you, you go into your comms and you're like, well, they just ran over. They're bubbling first. Let's try and bait them. You go into the next fight. Well, now they're not bubbling first. Well, shit, they're not doing what we're doing. <laughs> now we have to change our 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 plan is because every single player i think in those teams has such a high understanding of the meta and they can read enemy movement and they understand what it means if if the enemies bubble first they can read the distance and they understand what their job will be and what read their teammates will make and they move as a unit so i think that's that's the big thing i think london just wasn't you know kind of versatile enough i guess um I did. I did think they ran through three. Look okay on Oasis. Um, mm. It was just. It was. It was just on Blizzard World. They kind of fell apart, which is okay. like it happens. You know, like you you can get snowballed on on that map pretty easily if you lose the first fight. Um, and then Winston three three is just like you played completely differently. I was surprised that London opted into Winston three three Muron Hanamura. I think you can. Like Hangzhou, Hangzhou didn't even do that, and they have Gushia, right? They, they they understand that it's probably easier to just take it with Reinhardt. Um, and I think it's kind of difficult to take the mirror as the attacking side on, on Anamura, but they did it anyway, and they got really no no value. So I think, yeah. And and then we all, we all know that from what we've seen is that London has a bit of a tendency maybe to mental boom when things aren't going their way. And I think <laughs> heading into Gibraltar, it was kind of over. Yeah. Like yeah. You, you saw the way London played, like you, you can't take anything away from that map because everyone was an autopilot. Like you see... Uh, the attack from Hangzhou, Fury is just standing, gets discorded, takes damage, and gets demeked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On the other side of the map, and that's like that, that's Two just or three the times everyone, actually, yeah. Exactly, and everyone was making mistakes like that. It wasn't just Fury, mm. you know. So I think like Hangzhou captured momentum. Um, it, London probably felt like, well, we have no answer, and then like they were just kind of gone mentally. I think that's that's at least what I saw. Mm. I will also say it just felt like I don't think ever since Profit they switched Profit onto uh, Zarya. I th- I don't think in a singular series he has had as many grabs eaten as he had in that series. Like honestly, that game actually put Ria on my radar, and I that's now the player I want to watch in like first person when I'm watching live. I think he had a great early on in the season. He was not the best, but I think that was just more to the sparks, uh, like like Mineral said, like their communication, their coordination issues that have been apparent up until this point where now you can see that 
they're a lot more coordinated. They have a structured game plan that they follow. Like Rhea going all the way back to like XX, he was the person who filled in for Choi Hoban, who we know is the shocks flex tank, who is so immaculate. Rhea came into that team and they didn't miss a beat. So like, it's nice to see him finally find success on this team. And I've, I've been trying to sing his praises as much as I can. Speaking of immaculate, by the way, that shirt, Really good, Joe. Right in, right in, Dang. right, right into in matching with with, with yep. those bed sheets. Yeah, get them yep. in. Gotta gotta get them in. All right, very good. <laughs> Kicked Volumels in the chat. Thanks. <laughs> so good. You want to talk about uh, these last uh, two games and maybe uh, wrap up? I don't want to take up too much of your yeah, time, yeah. Mineral. Um, uh, what's your? I have, I have plenty of time. Okay. All right. All right. You know, three hour show. Let's go. Let's go. Come on. I mean, we're ready getting... for the marathon. They said they would never use the applause on this show. We're using it right now. Three hour show. Just kidding. Sorry. Thoughts we're not going into uh, the old NYXL gladiators. Do you want to do which? Okay. Let me, let me pose it this way. You're the guest. Which one would you like to talk about first? Do you want to talk about Dallas, Vancouver or uh, the more interesting matchup of NYXL gladiators? I don't think, I don't think there's much to say about Vancouver, Dallas, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's uh, yeah, this is the big tough. one. So uh, before we, before we get minerals take, I need a, a reminder because we did this on we mineral we do a PvP segment where Joe and Yiska go head to head and like debate about a topic and then we kind of choose a win winner here. Mm-hmm. Yiska, who did you choose? You chose Gladiators. Gladiators and Joe chose NYXL. I chose the opposite team, yes. So uh based on those predictions, just a reminder for those listening and watching of where these other hosts have their stakes in. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Now give us your thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I think this is this could be one of the closest matchups. I think it's pretty much a toss-up. Uh just because, you know, New York's looked like really trended down with the two losses against Atlanta. I think they made so many uncharacteristic mistakes. And again, you you could have seen they're, they're just not in sync. Like they might they pop us a portal and they're not pushing or some of the people that are pushing because they assume you're going to push and then they don't. Like There's been a lot of these hitches that really weird. Um, whereas I think Gladiators, obviously like they didn't finish off the stage that well either with the loss to Boston. They looked very shaky, made a lot of uncharacteristic errors, but I, I still think overall they've looked a little bit better maybe. I think um, like if I'd had to pick, I'd, Probably pick gladiators in five, like going three two. Um, I just, I just think like New York had this style where they would farm energy and they would try and pre- pressure you with energy advantage, and it worked for a really long time. And then I think people kind of figured it out. And again, it kind of goes back to what I said: you have to be super versatile with how you approach and it, it's very dangerous in 3-3 to get into habits like this is how we're always going to approach these fights we have a combo they have a combo this is how we're always going to fight it like you have to be able to make reads on the fly and i felt like that's why maybe like nyxl got a little stagnant um and when Atlanta really pressured them they kind of faded a little bit and i think gladiators is the type of team that is very aggressive they always try to make the first move like they don't always execute perfectly but they they are very, very proactive. They do have a similar style uh, to New York um, in, in, in some ways, but I think they're a little more aggressive uh, with, with how they choose to use their ultimates. So, yeah, I'd probably pick Gladiators. Joe, any, 
any Re- rebuttal, rebuts. it's it's tough because, because you took I, that stance really seriously. Oh yeah, show. very much so. <laughs> My God, about the, like, the old Merry Man meta and and Pine being on the roster. Pine is an all star. Yeah, I get yeah, it. Yeah. yeah. Um, much in the same way that I would have argued last stage, um, New York was my pick because I, I assumed they were the infallible machine team that they would analyze you and be able to figure out some sort of counter strategy or they were so good at their one style that they could beat everybody else. Right. It was so different. Um, and, and I would have I still want to see Vancouver NYXL. Maybe not. Actually, I take that back. Maybe I don't want to see that anymore because it seems like NYXL style has been completely figured out, at least from you know atlanta to say the least um i i yeah generally i don't know i don't know if they if this is enough time to get their stuff together to adapt to a new style maybe they've tweaked some things to to support it a little bit better i don't i mean they still have a bench to pull from i don't know if that's been if that's going to get activated in this match but um yeah it's difficult to to really put any eggs in the new york basket because everything is trending downwards like mineral said I, I also like another thing that I think most people notice as well and was mentioned is that Nene just seems off. You know, he was absolutely incredible in stage one. And it feels like after that missed grab against Seoul in the playoffs, mm-hmm. everything is just falling apart, you know, because you look at the schedule that Nix- Nixel had this stage, everyone's like, well, this is an easy 7 0, right? And, mm-hmm. and they end up going 5-2. They finish slow. Nene's looking a little off. I think statistically, I think when I looked at stats a couple of weeks ago, you know, they were trending downwards by a lot. Even though they were winning the games, his stats were going down. So maybe he wasn't playing as confident, not taking as many off angles. I haven't studied New York enough to mm-hmm. be able to say with certainty, but I think, uh, you know, that's, that, that's been, probably been an issue as well. So Yiska does this weird robot matrixy thing where he speaks in percentages. He's like, oh, yeah, NYXL 40, <laughs> 45. So give me a percentage here for you. Like if you were going to go to Winston's lab tonight and you're like, you know what? I'm putting yeah. in my I'm putting in my weights. You you said L.A. Gladiators. But what, yeah. what do you put for that? 55, 45, maybe 58, 42. All right. 57, like. 43, something like that. That's, right. That's going to Cal- be close, though. Calculated. Right. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. I like it very much. It should be interesting. 99-1 NYXL. Let's go. Oh, boy. That, that's a bench I'm taking out yeah. the bench yeah, model a, right there. Yeah, no, the kidding. old Chad Gamers prediction. <laughs> Yiska, where are you sitting on this one, man? I think that's a good... Yeah, I'd, I'd probably just go 55 flats. Oh yeah, the lazy route. Got it. Great. Yes. Good. Yeah. So glad Very you're lazy. on the show. Be the lazy. Is, yeah, no, these are even even harder to predict simply because yeah. it's not like you can look at the maps and then figure out what the percentages mm-hmm. are. He is it's like loser's pick. So depending on how that goes, I think um it's it's much harder pr- to predict certainly than a regular season game. It's true. I, at least with NYXL, right? Yeah. I, I, I wonder if it does go the distance and it does go to game five. Does the the pressure see it's so hard to even give New York the the nod here and saying, oh, you, you have experience in these pressure situations because every time they get there. They flake. 
And even when they don't get there, sometimes they just flake out, uh, you know, against Atlanta, you know, back in, in season one, they still had matches that were oddly close for no reason. It felt like they were just yeah, to bring up the old meme. They were just sandbagging like they weren't taking it seriously. Um, every everything that you want to say about New York is now in, in question is their style you know they have this really cool style is it the best style do they have the experience on stage hard to say i mean technically they do but does that necessarily mean anything for them like yeah gladiators have a great shot at, at, at beating this team and and making a, an upset maybe this isn't even that much of an upset as much as we'd like it to be no it isn't West, if, if nyxl has great style and i just have to say that i mean they're Merch have you seen their great. shoes? Ooh. Their merch looks great, man. They've got Nike Airs for days. Oh yeah, you know they've got Nike Airs. <laughs> they've got Freeze. That just you know they're good. Night. NYXL has style. That they do. That's that's no doubt. <laughs> I've, I've seen Joe Nax tattoo. It's, it's you could say a style. So Something. let's let's do some percentages here on Titans Fuel. I mean, man, like listen, I love the Dallas Fuel. For, for for a lot of perspectives, like, they're just, you know, great. But, like, man, I just, like, can I go above? I don't even think I can go above 70-30 or below 70-30. Yeah, that's, that's, that's saying a lot. I think, I, I think, um, I don't remember who exactly it was on Oversight. I think it was Monty who said it would be nice to see Dallas really come out with some Chengdu-esque comps to really throw them for a different loop because there's no way you're going to beat them straight up. Just not happening. Sorry. All the, all the Dallas fans out there, you're not going to beat one of the best. And, and I can't in good faith say they are the best right now. I, I still want to see the run back with San Francisco, Vancouver as the best 3-3 team in the world at the moment. Um, I want to see Dallas come out. I want to see them run some weird DPS comps. You By know? the way, one of the advantages of having the new reseeding format in playoffs means that we should see yeah. San Tech Francisco and by Vancouver. All, you know, prediction. Any thoughts? Methods? By the yeah. way, Mineral, are you a fan of the reseeding in playoffs? Like uh, for, for that, so the highest seed faces the lowest seed, even in, so you go quarter semis or semi quarters. Uh, mm. Did you like the reseeding, even though it definitely favors the higher seeded teams? Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's it's difficult to say. Obviously, you can get screwed over uh, as as a team that potentially gets an upset, like stage one. Uh, so, so yeah, yeah so, so beats uh, NYXL, New York Excel, and NYXL, and they're like, oh. Here's your reward, the Vancouver Titans. You know, <laughs> yeah. So, I, I, but I think it, it does have the highest chance of giving you the two best teams, I suppose, uh, in, in the finals. That's assuming the two best teams are the highest seeds, because again, when you have only seven games in a stage, what if, say, Vancouver played against New York and Gladiators yeah. and uh, shock the stage, and they end up like five-two with the four seed? Then, then you're you know, then it's different. And, and everything is just so, like all the seating is so much dictated by the schedule most of the time, I think. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't necessarily mind it, but I can see how it can be annoying for, for lower seeded teams. I mean, it's even more weird this stage because even though Vancouver had a perfect stage, they are still only third, third seed <laughs> based on the, um, the divisions, right? So yeah. that in itself 
is a little bit uh, yeah i mean but yes i i definitely agree that it just has the highest percentage of yeah. giving us great f finals which by the way happened last time mm -hmm. also for uh, people that say ah oh, receding is so bad like uh soul had to upset twice i have a very easy solution for you just have soul win every stage match during the regular season that's that's snaps. what it is snaps man snaps claps you get uh which one's claps i don't even know that one there it is <laughs> so this is interesting brought it up from totally new name <laughs> on twitch uh, says the top two seeds are always division leaders, so the reseeding doesn't really yeah. does makes no sense. Mm. That's not a bad point when we talk about relative division Power. strength, right? Yeah. Yes, but at the same time, the thing is, at the same time, Newman, make... good point, new name, good point. <laughs> but uh, Yiska wants to argue right now, so go ahead, Yiska. Yeah. But okay, so. It probably will never make less sense than it does now because the divisions are so different. Mm -hmm. And already, do you feel that's egregious at the moment? Not really. It's not terrible. You're right? not seeing it, a completely random team have a second seed when they don't deserve to be as a second seed. Like, yeah, it's a little weird to see London as a second seed, but they're not that yeah. weird. Yeah, I mean, didn't... Joe, weren't you the one, though, who said that Shock and Titans are in a league of their own and then everybody else? Is that you, Joe, on Tuesday? Yeah, no, 100%. Um, so you don't I think... think it's egregious with... Is egregious the right word? Uh, you don't think it's ridiculous or whatever that Titans, Shock are S-tier and then mm -hmm. London Gladiators, maybe NYXL, are A-tier. You don't think it's weird that then... You know? I don't think it's completely weird with how the league's been formatted to have Vancouver be a third seed, for instance. Like they're not like fifth seed. There's not like some crazy like the top three in your division get buys because you know we want to focus on divisional play. Having uh, you know the the first place team in your division, you know it, it just sucks that one division's a little bit more stacked than the other. Like it's it's not that crazy to me. I don't know. Yeah. I'm not. A Big fan of that because if you think about it, so London is the third seed, but they get the second seed because they win their division. But imagine, so week, I think week two, they went, they went two one against Philly. Imagine if that is a two one loss, then we see a London that is five two and would be ranked below Gladiators. So you would have sure, Shock yeah. Titans, Gladiators, Spitfire would be fourth, and they would be awarded the second seed. Like to me, that's. That's when it gets crazy, and it's not mm -hmm. you know one map difference, and you have that scenario here. So I think, yeah, I don't know. I'm not too big of a fan of the division leader getting um, getting the second seed. Dream says the seeds are so random that reseeding or standard uh, or standard bracket doesn't matter. I think, and again, maybe he can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think he's referencing how and where you're playing your matches. If that makes sense, like you, one stage, your schedule could be really weak and then your seating is really good. And then another schedule, your schedule is really, really hard and your seating is really poor. That doesn't really necessarily explain your strength as as accurate as it could. Um, maybe he can. Um, but the thing is, the problem isn't the reseeding. The problem is the schedule. Then that doesn't mean you need to get rid of reseeding. That means you got to get rid of the scheduling issue. <laughs> the problem is the division allocations. 
isn't it? Also. Okay. It's part of the problem. It's part, yeah. of it, part of it. All I yeah. need is all three smart brains to say, John, I, I agree with you. I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> don't worry. I will never make you do that on this podcast. Uh, chat, by the to. way, we're going to keep kind of going on this conversation, but if you have questions for mineral, make sure to post them in chat now, uh, because we are wrapping up minerals. Like, yeah, I can go longer. And I joked about a three hour show. I'm not making yeah, it a three hour show. No. So, uh, yeah. So make sure to ask those questions now, kind of as we start to wrap up, <clears throat> otherwise your question will not get answered and your opinion okay. rendered irrelevant. A fan hasn't asked this question, but I want to know from another another team's perspective. Recently, we had somebody who I will not name go on a very long tirade about how they thought the Overwatch League broadcast was a little bit too harsh on players and how that could affect their uh, careers. We'll say. Where do you fall on that fence? Do you think the broadcast has been a little bit too hard on people? Do you think they could go harder? Is it actually affecting their careers as somebody kind of who's experienced the inside of the league? Where, what, what's your kind of take? I also wish I had a baby crying thing, but uh, sounder, (laughs) but but besides that, I think that's very, very interesting question. And I have obviously, I have a lot of experience with that. Uh, Maybe not in terms of like the broadcast talking about it, but obviously being on a team that underperformed and catching a lot of heat. Uh, so obviously, I, I know how much it can affect people. I've, I've also seen a lot of players be affected by what other people write about them, you know, sure. on, on Reddit and things like that. Like obviously, that, that affects you. And I think it's mostly because most of the guys who come into the league, they haven't experienced, uh, they have never been on the podium mm. in terms of having the spotlight having people care about what you what you say what you do how you perform right so they're not exposed to the highs and they're not exposed to the lows so when you get flamed when you get you know pressured from from fans and and criticized it's very easy to it's it's very difficult to distance yourself from that from that until you kind of become a veteran and you're like well okay i've heard this all before and now i can laugh about it but i think for everyone anyone who comes in and is fresh and hasn't dealt with that um I think it's it can certainly be very very hard. You know, I, it was difficult for me in season one at, until I learned to sort of ignore it, not stay off social media when I know I have to. Because really, if if, if you if, even if you feel like it it doesn't affect you, it maybe it affects you like two or three percent. You know, maybe it distracts you a little bit, and then all of a sudden you're doing a disservice to your team because you're letting someone from the outside and their opinion affect you, right? Mm. Uh, but, but that's in terms of dealing with community criticism. When, when we're talking about the broadcast i think yeah they i think the broadcast carries a ton of power in terms of that they can dictate the narrative if they Mm -hmm. make a meme everyone's gonna follow suit right sure and i don't mind when they criticize players i think everyone should be able to get criticized i think that's why people are engaged that's why it's fun if you're playing bad you should get flamed if you play well you should get praised uh you know if you, if you do poorly you should you know like it, it, it's just how it works like emo- emotions are involved in this game right but i think when it comes to the broadcast i don't think they should always be nice and never criticize but i also feel like they really need to have if they have a strong a negative strong negative opinion about someone they really have to get the facts right they have to mm. show why is this true yes. I'm really upset yes. about this player playing like this because here are the facts. Look at his positioning here. He's in mispositions here and here and here. Here are the statistics that back it up and not statistics that don't make sense, but 
here's the context for these statistics, right? And if you're making a strong statement like you better back it up with facts and film and all of that stuff, then I don't really mind it. But I feel like some, maybe sometimes, uh, you know, because you have to be entertaining, there has to be some comedic element to, to the desk. Sometimes someone might say something about a player and it's really not true. You know, like mm. the, the super, the super bad stuff. I thought that was when I, when I saw that we were actually warming up for one of our games. When I saw that, I was like, Ooh, that's in really yeah. bad taste. And like, you know, and and now Super shows like, well, he's actually the best Reinhardt in the league. So mm-hmm. now now the desk looks kind of silly, and in that situation, mm-hmm. like it it could have affected him, not not as much him. Like I think he's sort of an, an, uh, a veteran now. I think he can sure. block it out. I don't, I don't think he he cares about it. But obviously, the perception from the public can really get affected by the broadcast. So I think mm-hmm. you, you really got to get got to get your facts straight in that regard. We got a really good question here. We don't normally get good questions in chat for Twitch. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is an important one. Uh, Apply, who is a verified streamer on Twitch, partner, says, who is your favorite player and why is it me? Well, I got to go with Apply just because he's, uh, you know, at, at, at such a young age, it's just incredible to have that kind of a hero pool and be, you know... Like p- play that well, and and I also saw I, I believe uh, th- did he post because uh, I woke up today and everyone was posting these Twitter photos when like it, it changes your gender <laughs> right. Face, yeah. I am not a attractive female Terrifying. by the way. Like all yeah. these other guys are like, look how attractive I am as a female. I'm like, wow, look how I'm your just really <laughs> annoying aunt. So yeah. s- sorry, Yiska. So I was I was gonna commend apply for that maybe he uh, looks good as a female as well, but I, I'm actually not sure if he posted uh, one of himself. So maybe <laughs> maybe it would be irrelevant. But yeah, those those are the reasonings. What have you seen privately? <laughs> <laughs> it's a whole different mayhem. I don't want to know about. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, what else do we have here? Reprise actually asked two questions. Who is the best coach? Not in owl kappa and then he also said what is the most important quality to have as a player and as a coach from your perspective hmm a good question i think besides a really good a, microphone by the way i yeah. am i'm taking i i am actually taking tryouts i won't play well <laughs> i don't actually know good. more than i'm a pretty good zarya but you know, besides that, I'm just gonna sound really good in your uh, in your scrims. Yeah. So, I think <laughs> most it's it's hard to narrow it down to one quality. I think work ethic is super important. I think you can see a lot of players who maybe they they're good. They come up and then they get comfortable and they stop working as hard and then they fall off you all i think work ethic is also important in the, in the sense that if you're a player who's maybe not that strong in this meta and has to be benched can you put your ego aside and you know w- work your way through and grind and accept that role without being sort of toxic in your team environment actually contribute to the team environment uh and i think that like coachability and work ethic sort of go hand in hand and i think those are the two most important things um that can help you know uh, a player grow in terms of a coach i think open-mindedness is a big one i think it's when you walk, go into uh, go into uh, an environment and you start coaching guys 
you have to know how to you obviously have to have a lot of knowledge you have to have competence so that players respect you because if they see that you don't know what you're talking about and you can back up back up your arguments with facts or experience they're not really going to listen to you uh, so ability the ability to gain that respect is super important but also i think open-mindedness in terms of you don't have the answers to everything you know if mm. if your winston your winston player has probably played a lot more winston than you have so can can you how, how are you starting a conversation when you're giving him criticism are you saying what were you seeing here how how are you thinking instead of just saying this is wrong this is wrong this is wrong and approaching something in a narrow mindset i think it's super important to be open-minded and if someone goes no i, I think actually that's not true and they come up come up with a good um excuse for it then then it makes sense right but yeah if, if you're a coach that is very stuck in his ways and goes in and like this you did this wrong then immediately the response back from the player is going to be aggressive as well if he disagrees with you right so understanding how to keep these discussions productive and the coaching productive i think comes from the coach having an open mind i think love it sweet underscore 10 asks do you think moving to a one game per week and using a format similar to that of the nfl teams return home for majority of the week and travel saturday sunday would be better logistically for the league but i think more than anything one game per week number one like i would love to hear your thoughts on that in the current iteration but also if it was one game per week, but you have whatever travel back and forth, like actual home and away games. Yeah, I think, we, I mean, we kind of exhausted this topic and I think we reached the conclusion that we don't really have an answer because it's so tough in terms of how to schedule the optimal. Like, I really don't know what the best format would be, especially next year. Like I'm completely clueless about how they're going to make that work this season. I think yeah. I mean, it would it would help if there was only one game per week. It, it would be easier um, for for teams to prepare. You probably get a little better, uh, you know, performances from Just all the teams. Game. Yeah, and, and I mean, I, I haven't checked uh, the stage two stats, but I made a video about the stats in stage one where you could see teams who play uh, two games per week, and when their opponent only plays one game per week, uh, the, the team that has fewer opponents to prepare for actually performed. I think the win percentage for those teams. For the teams that had a tougher schedule, was like eleven to seventeen or something like that. Um, mm. So, I, so I do think, you know, to make it fair, you could probably make it just one game per week, and it would be a little easier for for everyone. You get higher quality games and more balanced results. Last question, I promise. And uh, it was, what would you like to see in a hero? Let, let's just use a hero design, or if you think a map design would be more functional but i have a feeling it'd be hero design what would you like to see more in a hero design in the future maybe to help the current competitive scene in being i don't know like uh just uh, more i don't know if i don't want to say more watchable of an esport but like yeah more dynamic of an esport something that would maybe hold some certain um just wh whatever abilities or play styles in check that's a good one so i think way. from lilacs yeah. I think that's a good question, but rather than saying like this type of hero would solve a lot of things or this type of mouse, a lot of things, I think I kind of agree with what a lot of people have been talking about lately, which was a topical thing where everyone's saying, let just lock two, two, two. I think like I'm, I'm on that boat as well. And I think that would be the, the big, biggest change that you could make. And one that would make it easier for Blizzard to balance the game. Because now when, when it's three, three, like everyone's trying to beat it, but it's just so hard to to balance the game like you can you can shift to three three around to still 
play at a higher tempo have so much sustain that it's impossible to really play anything else if you optimize the three support compositions so i think just liking 222 would probably solve a lot of issues and yeah make make for more best more interesting gameplay it would be easier to nerf certain metas and bring new metas into fold uh, instead of being stuck in this uh 3-3 meta that we have for a long time but, 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 but my diversity. Okay, sorry. We're going to go ahead and get out of here. Chat, thank you guys so much. Awesome questions. You guys have been great in the chat. Uh, Joe, Yiska, uh, you know, C+. Plus. Good job. Nice. Good job this week. Passing. <laughs> uh, it's a passing like grade, yes? Yeah, I think in the U.S. it means that you can get into uh, Yale or yeah. USC if you pay enough money. But talking, <laughs> hey, yeah, talking <laughs> like someone with rich parents. I yeah. know, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but but for real, uh, obviously, the the big thank you has to go to Mineral. Mineral, I'm going to let thank you go you. first. Uh, first of all, thank you so much for being on the show. So much incredible insight. I can't wait to be able to post this show. Before we get out of here, though, where can people find you? What do you have coming up? Like, what what can people expect? Uh, from you on Twitter at Mineral underscore OW or anywhere else. Uh, like, you know, what's next for you, man? Hmm, what's next for me? That's a good question. Uh, I think, you know, obviously I finished off the the season in Mayhem. You know, we, we, we didn't really do that well. Um, but ho hopefully I, I, you know, I, I do want to get back in the league eventually. Uh, for now, I have been just creating content, making uh, videos. It's something that I'm interested in as well, because obviously I have a, uh, a background in journalism. So uh, awesome. while I have I have a little bit of downtime, I'm enjoying kind of trying out a new craft, learning new things, as I do have a lot of knowledge, obviously, but I have to really work on the delivery on, mm -hmm. on, you know, on the knowledge. And that's why I enjoy learning something new and studying you guys, how because you guys have been doing this for a while, right? So uh, just kind of getting obsessed by a different craft is, has been very interesting to me uh, while I try to figure things out. Uh, obviously, I, I do want to get in, back into Overwatch League. Uh, I, I have some offers both from Overwatch League teams, um, coaching offers from Overwatch League teams and from uh, Academy teams. But honestly, I'm right now, I'm really in no rush. Uh, the most important thing for me is that I, if I do go back to Overwatch League and when I do go back to Overwatch League, I want to make sure that I'm in a situation that is where I can be successful, where I believe in the infrastructure, where I believe in the coaching staff and I can learn from the coaching staff, where I believe in the roster and I think we can win. Because ultimately, I, I got into this into gaming because I'm a competitor and I want to win. Uh, and obviously, I haven't really been able to achieve that yet. So uh, if, if I do go back to, to the Overwatch League and, and coach, um, you know, I, I, all of those things have to uh, kind of fall into place. And obviously now, like most of the good, good teams are... They did their their homework. They did a good job during the offseason. Yeah. They're fully staffed, right? Uh, I was going to say, which team? Which team? You put a you put a draft hat on in the NFL. You get to pick. I'm not going to actually make you answer yeah. that question, but yeah, yeah but but, <laughs> I, you, but you I want to like, see the hat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like since this since my departure happened, since I left the Mayhem midseason, I obviously under, understood that uh, I I might not get my dream job immediately and find a team that I want to work for because. The good teams aren't really looking for staff, and I understood that I might have to sit the season out if I don't get, um, you know, a team that kind of ticks all my boxes. So we'll we'll see what happens. You know, I'm I'm in a rush to take an offer right now. I'm enjoying creating content, so you can, you know, check out my check out my videos. I try to be educational with all that stuff and uh, try and help out and coach. Uh, Where can you know, do you have a custom and, URL? So is are they on your custom? So your videos are you doing on them on Twitch on YouTube? 
uh, I upload YouTube videos as well. Uh, mostly, I do some streams on Twitch. I did uh, a coaching session uh, just before this on on Twitch, but usually it's uh, YouTube. So it's YouTube.com. Was is like uh, dash u dash mineral ow. Um, so yeah, that's that's where I usually upload. Awesome. Um, Want to have something something good. I really enjoyed the the like thorough analysis of um, the bunker comp situation, how that mm -hmm. developed. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But yeah. just one short question: you. If you get a job, does it have to be a head coach position? Uh, no, absolutely not. I think one of the big things, obviously, because we were understaffed for a long period of time, and even this season, I didn't really get to work uh, with a coaching staff too much. Obviously, we had coaches coming in and out. Uh, even when we signed coaches, uh, there were a lot of visa issues, so I, I didn't really get to work with a full coaching staff. And it's one of the things that I really missed, I guess, during my coaching time is that I I wish I had more people to bounce ideas off and learn from uh, instead of trying to like solve everything myself. So I'm certainly not opposed to you know being an assistant coach, especially if I believe in the infrastructure of the roster and I feel like I can learn from the head coach, I can learn from the other assistant coaches and be in an environment where I can grow. Because you know I, I understand that even though I could make a lot of excuses as to why the time in Florida didn't work out, um, I, I tend to look at things in terms of what can I do better? Where can I grow? Even if it only changes 5% of the outcome, you know, I'm committed to making that change and getting better. So I, we can get that 5% edge. Cause usually sometimes that's all you need to get some momentum. Right. Yeah. Um, and that, that's how I look, look back at things. And I, I, I think I could definitely learn a lot from other teams outside perspectives, perspectives and things like that. So I'm definitely very open to that. Awesome. Love it. Great, great question. Yiska. Make sure to follow your hosts uh, at Volmel, at Yiska Out, and at Kick Tripod. And of course, you can just search on YouTube for all those other different things. We're going to get out of here, though. This was a special episode of Tactical Crouch. We went a little long because, you know what? Why not? Why yeah, the f*** not? You know? <laughs> like that's that, Just because we feel like it. We're going to be back on Tuesday with another episode of Tactical Crouch. Follow the show everywhere, Tactical underscore Crouch. And, uh, you know, just search for Tactical Crouch. Make sure to like, subscribe, follow, whatever you need to do to make sure that you know when a new Tactical Crouch uh, show goes live. And, of course, if you really, really, really like the show, uh, subscribe to the channel, twitch.tv slash kicktripod, or, uh, you know, uh, donate bits. Uh, just straight up cash is fine. You know, Joe's <laughs> Joe's not picky, man. Whatever gets him. Take his, what I can get, man. His plaid sheets, man. That's all exactly. he cares about. Uh, we're going to be back on Tuesday. Thanks so much for hanging out. Uh, we might be back after the music. I'll let you know. Talk to you guys later. Bye.